Welcome to a new episode of Saw Something Scary. Derek Zoo, Jeff Wright here with you, uh, reviewing really a really fun movie. Um, not necessarily sure if we, not to spoil it, but not necessarily sure if we should put it in the horror genre, but I'm really glad we got to see this one anyway. Jeff, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm doing well, man. Uh, I think you and I both um, were looking forward to this movie for quite a long time. And it's nice to have finally gotten it to see it and not not be disappointed, unlike, you know, a movie maybe called The Nun. Yeah. Or for some of us, a movie that rhymes with Schmeditor. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Only in hindsight. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, we'll uh, we'll be talking about searching here in just a little bit. But before we do that, let's go into an extended version of everyone's favorite part of the show. Jeff hates trailers. Woo-hoo. Jeff Wright, I got six for you this week, my man. All right, buddy. Lay it on me. So here we go. The first one just came out today. Creed 2. Hmm. Okay. Confession time? Yeah. Never saw Creed. Boo this man. I'm disappointed in myself. I have no defense. Um, it has been on my Amazon Prime watch list since the first day it hit digitally. I, I honestly can't believe that I've never watched it. I like everything about that movie. I've just never put it on. And so, yeah, this is my forum to confess my shame. My goodness. Uh, I'll let it slide, man. Uh, although I think that you should rectify that very, very quickly. Um, I, 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 you're, you're a big Rocky fan, right? Yeah, I mean, there there are people who are bigger fans, but I've watched all of those, sure. including uh, the one featuring Sparta's own Tommy Gunn, yeah. and uh, I mean, I've I've always enjoyed them. In fact, a lot of the ones, I guess I would say, except for the Creed movies, the the ones that have come out in my in my lifetime, where I you know had agency to go to the movie theater, I've watched mm-hmm. them in the in the theater, but. Yeah, it's just uh, this one's just missed my missed my eyeballs somehow. All right, well, um, yep, rectify that. This one comes out in th- on Thanksgiving or in like during the Thanksgiving season, so you've got plenty of time to rectify the situation and then be prepared for Creed Two. Yeah, I'm I'm all about going to watch a movie during Thanksgiving. I did notice that um, Ivan Ivan Drago's son is apparently the bad uh-huh. guy in this one. Yes, sir. I I just wonder how long they can milk this. You know, are we going to get Mickey's son in to work the corner and you know, <laughs> like uh, they may overplay their hand on this. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm I'm just hoping that uh, Apollo Creed comes back to life. That's the only thing I want. You and Billy D. Williams both. <laughs> I believe he's available. Then you, then you got a stew going, baby. <laughs> I, I remember when they said that they may bring him back into the new Star Wars movies. And the yeah. next day it was like, Billy D's getting in shape. Wants to make another run at Star Wars. I was like, yep, that guy's been sitting around waiting for something to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's surprising that Billy D. Williams is just now getting into shape for it, though. Like, you think that's all he would be doing lately? For sure. For sure. It's probably, it was probably uh, a toss up for him between it or that, that uh, reboot of the Two Face character that he was promised long ago. And he, <laughs> he was just paralyzed by indecision. Yeah. Well, you know, he he finally got to do the voice of Two-Face for the Lego Batman movie. Oh, no. I guess I totally missed that. Well, okay. Um, there is some justice left in the universe then. Yeah, amen to that. So I'm pretty, pretty happy that old Billy D finally got to play Harvey Dent. Yeah. Or, excuse me, got to play Two-Face and Harvey Dent. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, good deal. Yeah. Have you not seen Lego Batman? Man, we're going on the rabbit trail. <laughs> Have you not seen uh, Lego Batman? Man, I've seen Lego Batman so many times. No, I was going to say, you got has, kids. Exactly. Uh, but here's the thing. That's one of the ones that I'm happy to put on every time they want to watch it. Sure. I just didn't recognize his voice. Yeah, that's understandable. Oh. All right. Oh, wait. No. Uh, Carl Weathers plays Creed, 
not Billy D. Williams. What are we talking about? Oh, dude, there are probably people screaming at their yeah. podcast. Holy app. smokes! We all make mistakes. No one's perfect. All right. The good news is, is that we we rectified it, and we know, so it's all good. Sorry about that, Billy D. Yeah, or Carl. And Carl. And, yeah, I mean, Carl Weathers. One way or the other, we're sorry to all of you. <laughs> yeah. So, I tell, right. you what, I, I tell uh, you what, Derek, let, let's send an olive branch out there into the airwaves. Okay. Uh, we know both of you guys have, you know, not been doing a ton of work lately. Um, we we want to help, particularly because of this gaffe we just pulled. And so if, if you know, when you're ready, come on the podcast. We'll talk it over. We'll apologize in person. Uh, we'll we'll put your, your name in front of all the uh, Hollywood execs who regularly listen to the show. And, and, and we'll make this right, guys. So you just have your people get in touch with our people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you call us, uh, we'll call you, and we'll make it all happen. Yeah, that's so. the least we can do. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, Creed two, starring uh, Carl Weathers' son, and uh, you. Hey, Felicia Rashad's in this, so that's a, a good thing for her. This has been kind of a bad week for her and uh, her her uh, cinematic husbands. But mm-hmm. did you see that news report? And it, it's apparently true that the first thing he asked for to eat in prison was uh, pudding. <laughs> what do you stay on brand? <laughs> for real, man. For real. Just staying in those glory years. Yeah, hey, man, you might as well go down swinging. So, All right. So, Creed 2, the next one I got for you is called The Sisters Brothers, and it is based on Patrick DeWitt's novel. The Sisters Brothers revolves around the colorfully named gold prospector Herman Kermit Warren, who's being pursued across a thousand miles of the 1850s Oregon desert to San Francisco by by the notorious assassins Eli and Charlie Sisters. Except Eli is having a personal crisis and beginning to doubt the longevity of his chosen career, and Herman might have a better offer. And this movie stars John C. Riley, Joaquin Phoenix, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Riz Ahmed. I'm there for that, man. <laughs> I'm there for that. Everything about that sounds awesome to me. Um, yeah. When did you say this is coming out? This comes out. Let me check. Uh, it's it should already be up. Um, it was opening weekend was this past Friday and limited release. It doesn't say when it's coming to a wide release. So you may have to wait, um, for like Netflix or Amazon or something before this gets on your radar. Much or like before searching, the, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I, I saw the trailer for this today and I was like, holy smokes, why isn't, why wasn't this, you know, made more of a, of a thing. So, yeah, I'm definitely checking that one out. That. That premise sounds so familiar to me. I feel like we've talked about that before. I was thinking like John C. Riley, But anyway, uh, maybe it's just because my heart anticipated it. I'm all about watching that bad boy. Yeah, man. Uh, And if uh, for some reason I find it, you know, somewhere before you do, I'll I'll let you know. Okay. Keep me posted. Yeah. Also in this movie, Creed Bratton for you office fans. Hmm. Yeah. uh, Rutger Hauer is in this movie. Good night. And Carol Kane, for that matter. So, all-star cast on this one. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, cool, man. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited about that. I mean, you almost have me at Western. You know, if there's a <laughs> right. if there's a big budget, wide release, uh, talented cast Western movie, I'm almost always there. Uh, but this one goes above and beyond. So, let's get this let's get this going here, Cookville. Yeah. Yeah, make it happen, Jeremy Barker, for crying out loud. <laughs> He's the only good thing about the AMC Theater here in Cookville, so uh, <laughs> not going to beat up on him too bad. And the A-list, right? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. It's $20. <laughs> I hate giving AMC oh, is more it money. 20, is it 20 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, uh, uh, all right. I can't oh, handle it. I can't, I can't handle AMC. I'm at, the, I'm at my breaking point with him. 
And uh, yeah. I'm just teetering on the edge. Every time I go, yeah, something goes wrong. Um, I mean, people have heard me gripe about AMC on here enough. I'm not going to go down that hole again. But just every time it comes up, I kind of get like a sick feeling in my stomach. You about to break bad on them? <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, my breaking bad would be like leaving my bag of popcorn in my seat when I leave. <laughs> Stick it to the man enough. there. Yeah. Suck it, floor workers. Now you clean this up. Who I used to be, and that's yeah. why I won't actually go through with this. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was you twenty years ago, kid. I know all about it. Your chain smoking, candy cigarettes. <laughs> look at all you've all got right. to look forward to, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you just think you know. You don't know. <laughs> Sir, Wreck-It Ralph ended 15 minutes ago. You need to leave the theater. Shut your mouth. I leave this theater when I say I leave this theater. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of real-life horror stories, Jeff, did you ever get to see Lore, the, that Amazon series? Yeah, I have a strange relationship to that show. I listened to that podcast for a long time, uh, okay. episode after episode when it first started. And much like my relationship to the TV show Supernatural, I enjoyed it, was a regular watcher, still would yeah. call myself a fan. But at some point, I just stopped listening and have never revisited it. So I see it show up on Amazon, new show. I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm going to watch all these. Never viewed a one of them. So I'm a hypocrite, really, is what this boils down to, Derek. I say one thing about myself, but I live another thing. Well, we all have those moments in our lives. It's no big deal. Mm. Um, here is a good opportunity for you to hop back in on it, though. Lore Season 2 is will be available fairly soon. Um, and the trailer for the second season looks really good. The next episode airs on October the 19th. So, man, we've got a heck of a run coming up. Venom on the 5th, uh, Haunting of Hill House on the 12th, and the new season of Lore on the 19th. So, Oh, yeah, dude. Well, good. It's the most wonderful time of the year. So bring it Amen all on. Yeah. Does this entice you enough to go back and watch the one, two, three, four, five, six episodes of season one to get started or to, to be prepared for season two? Or actually, I guess this really doesn't it doesn't need for you to go back and watch it. But are you going to anyway? Well, again, my hypocrisy knows no bounds. So, yes. But I would have said that before I knew that the trailer for season two looked good as well. I've just, I I'm, I can't explain my behavior on this podcast, Eric. I can't explain why I didn't go see Creed. Can't explain why I didn't know the Sisters Brothers was coming out. Can't explain why I haven't already seen Lore. I'm just, I'm just a jangled up mix of contradictions. Okay. Um, so next week, join us for Jeff Hates Hypocrisy. Jeff Hates gonna- himself. Let's just be honest about it. <laughs> Jeff hates himself. Oh, man, this turn this it's got dark quick. We need to move on. Yeah, but I'm getting some stuff out, Derek. This is good. This is cathartic. It, it's okay. It, it's healing. All right. So we're going to change the name of Jeff Hates Trailers to Venting Session, and you and I are just going to complain for the first 20 minutes of the show. Let's turn this podcast into just sequential sessions of scream therapy. <laughs> I think it'd be good. I think it'd be good not only for us but for the for, uh, for the listeners as well. They can just jo- join in with it, you know, on uh, on their drives to work or whatnot. Yeah, we're like three steps towards starting a cult, which is where the real money's at. So let, let's stay on this. It's true. It's true. You have a lot more fun if you're a follower, but you make a lot more money if you're a leader mm-hmm. in cults. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the aforementioned Creed Bratton's ever taught me anything, it'd be that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Lore, season two, October 19th. Moving on. Beautiful Boy, uh, based on the best-selling pair of memoirs from father and son, David and Nick Sheff. Beautiful Boy chronicles the heartbreaking and inspiring experience of survival, relapse, and recovery in a family coping with addiction over many years. And this stars Steve Carell, 
Um, it also stars uh, Maura Turney. You remember Maura Turney from like the 90s? Yeah. Yeah. Good to stay work. Good to see her working again, rather. Not stay yeah. working, but working again. Absolutely. And Amy Ryan is in this. Uh, Timothy Chalamet. Right. He was Mr. Everything last summer. Yeah. He was in Call Me By Your Name and Lady Bird. Yeah. And he was in uh, Interstellar as well. And also, Jeff, he was in Hostiles or Hostiles. You remember that movie with Christian Bale? Oh, I love that movie. I thought that was maybe yeah. the most underrated movie of last uh, winter. What was he in that movie? He was Private Philippe Desjardins. No kidding. I I completely have forgotten him. But man, Hostiles is such a good movie. Yeah, I still haven't had I still haven't had the chance to see it. But dude, it's at it's at Redbox right now. The next time you're like looking for something, yeah, uh, it's a. I mean, I hate to oversell it, and I, I have a you know I have a bad habit of doing that. But I think it's can't miss if you like westerns. Okay. All right, cool, man. Well, yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely try to pick that up the next time I get the chance. But about but, beautiful um, boy, anyway, yeah, I don't think I'll watch this, Derek. Um, so okay. Did you ever look at the books this is based on? No, sir, I did not. I didn't realize they were developing a film uh, about this. I can't remember what I saw it in first. I used to subscribe to a magazine called Books and Culture, which mm-hmm. was just there to like tell you about notable books that were being published and whatnot. It may have been there, but I remember reading there was going to be this this set of books, one from the father, one from the son, talking through uh, addiction and the relationship that they had as the son went through uh, addiction. And I, they are on my Amazon wish list right now. I mean, continuing the theme. They're on my Amazon wish list right now, and I've I've never had the the fortitude, I guess, to dive into that. It sounds super interesting, but I'm the guy who checked out on Breaking Bad because I just didn't want to see Walter descend into the sewer, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm not saying it's right or good. In fact, I'm saying it's uh, very chicken of me, but I just don't know if I've got the emotional bandwidth as a dad to to wade into that. You know, I think so, I, I I think by the Lord's help I could I could do it if something like that happened in my own family, but I don't know, man. Just as a human it seems hard to hard to watch that happen. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I dealt with, uh, addiction and stuff yeah. in my family. And, and yeah. so it's always, it's always a nerve, you know, and it's, uh, it's definitely difficult to, to see that play out, uh, amongst anything, you know, any kind of media or even, you know, I mean, sometimes you see it unfortunately play out with your friends and things like that. And so it's, it's always just a, a difficult thing to see. Uh, this looks like it's going to be another, you know, Oscar nom or, well, I don't know if it's going to be a shoe in, but it, this looks like this is Steve Carell. Oscar uh, movie for the year. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't think that I'll watch this in theaters, but I think that I'll definitely, once it, once it comes to like Amazon or something, I'll, I'll put it on and, and take a look at it probably so I can just cry in the privacy of my own home instead of at a movie theater. I mean, that's, that's really what I'm avoiding with the books and the, and the movies as well, or the movie as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the film we're reviewing in this episode grabbed a hold of my dad heart, you know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. got a little dusty in the theater for that. Um, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I, I guess I'd like to save those emotional bullets in case in case something like that visits my family in real life rather than put my heart in the shredder, you know, existentially uh, through the suffering of other people. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who might be interested in coming or going to see that uh, movie, it will be in theaters. I don't know if it'll be a wide release, but I assume that it will be on October the 12th. 
Jeez, that's a whole different kind of horror movie at Halloween. So, yeah, for sure. And it looks like, um, yeah, it looks like it'll be everywhere on October the 12th. So, um, so Venom, beautiful boy. <laughs> and then uh, Lore is what we have to look forward to in October. Um, actually, I won't be anywhere on October the 12th except at my television watching uh, The Haunting of Hill House. Here, here, man. You, I know that you are in an intense performance uh, season right now, but we're, I'm trying to arrange a White County viewing party. So get your bohunks well, back here to hometown and watch this thing with me. Doggone it, man! I would love that. Uh, I will. I will do my darndest to do just that. I'll see see what I can do. We'll get Yanni involved. I mean, we'll we'll do it up right. Man, my goodness, yes, I do miss Yanni's pizza. Um, probably the thing non-person wise I miss the most about Sparta. Well, Derek, that's sweet of you. But if you, if you tell me that you miss Yanni's more than me, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> it would be a lie, but I'm glad that you understand it. Yeah, I would definitely um, understand it. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, number five. Uh, I don't think we've talked about this one before, but if we, if we have, we're going to go through it again. Ralph breaks the internet after saving the arcade from Turbo's revenge. The sugar rush arcade cabinet has broken, forcing Ralph and Vanellope to travel to the internet via the newly installed Wi-Fi router in Elite Walks Arcade to retrieve a piece of uh, the piece capable of saving the game. Of course, everyone from the original uh, movie comes back to voice these actors and actresses and things of that nature. Jeff, the reason I brought this in was because somewhere in the Facebook groups that we're involved in, I, I don't believe it was in the We Saw Something Scary, but maybe it was in the uh, the pop culture corner of Deo uh, bottle rockets of fun. I don't, I forget the entire name of that. I apologize. Um, That's funny. Uh, perpetual but, uh, after party. Yeah, there it is. Uh, I, I saw somewhere where you said you weren't a fan of these movies. So I wanted to number one, call you out on that. But now I feel bad because I basically called you out on all four of the first ones. So anyway, you, you're not a fan of Wreck-It Ralph. I'm not. Now, of course I love John C. Riley. Who, who doesn't, right? You'd have to be subhuman. Um, I usually like movies that are self-aware. I like stuff about video games. The one singular element for this is the thing I'm going to turn back around and ask you about. What are your thoughts on Sarah Silverman? Oh man, she is um, she is a hot button. She's uh, she's very pol- uh, polarizing. It'd be the word. I almost said bipolar. I don't know if that's true or not, but she's very polarizing. I personally enjoy the majority of Sarah Silverman stuff, but I can also make a case for why someone wouldn't enjoy Sarah Silverman stuff. Yeah, I mean, she is the tip of the balance for me. That movie seems a little too self impressed with its. Uh, own awareness about what's going on. And I think I'm probably porting that over from my feelings about Sarah Silverman. Uh, I was I was quite the fan of hers, um, not because of this, but just to identify the era. Around the time that she and Jimmy Kimmel were dating, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, again, I don't think it's like uh, correlation implying causation, but sometime around the time they broke up, I just stopped being able to handle her. She just became way too much for me. I, I don't know her personally on any level. But just as someone who watches her, she just reeks of, uh, you know, kind of being the, the person who thinks her farts smell good. And sure, I just I can't do it anymore with her. I don't know if it's because I'm disappointed she's not the person she used to be. And that makes me awful for not allowing someone to grow. I don't know if it really is the case that she's insufferable, but I just can't do Sarah Silverman. I can't watch that movie without hearing her voice. And, and again, I really think my sense of her being impressed with herself carries over to the way the movie kind of winks at the audience and says, look how smart and clever we are. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I can see where you're coming from on that. That makes sense.
makes sense. Derek, I don't know how you did this, but basically this Jeff Hates Trailers has become a psychological profile of me, and I, I don't think I signed a waiver here, pal. Well, uh, here's the deal. Um, welcome to Intervention. <laughs> you uh, and 400 of our podcast friends are here to talk to me about some important things yeah not just that but i've got hilda on the line and uh so she's gonna she's gonna come up and talk to you about some stuff uh christy is gonna be uh i've got all these connected through skype so we're just gonna single-handedly come through and everyone's prepared a statement and they uh they want to talk to you about i've got brent sims on here uh which i had to find him in a cave but i found him <laughs> and uh <laughs> <laughs> There's like three people that'll get that joke. Um, yeah. So anyway, man, I just you know I feel like it's time, and so this that you know this is this is what's going to be for this one. So just get rid of the horror reporter, and we're just going to sit down with you and, and try to work some stuff out. Okay, I, th- I think I'm ready. Apparently, yeah, it seems that way. You're being very vulnerable on this episode, and we all appreciate you for it. This is either yeah, it's either an intervention or it's a it's a return to the youth group culture we grew up in. I don't know. Maybe it's both. <laughs> So, so uh, we're going to sing Light the Fire, and then <laughs> we're all going to go around the room and share something about one another. Oh, gosh. Just, you know, hopefully we we, uh, we get that, that camp feeling going and uh, bring it back to Sparta with us. Amen? Amen. Okay. Hey, just hang on for just a second. I'm going to move the microphone into the floor because I'm going to do the rest of the episode in the fetal position. <laughs> You you take this uh, you take this toilet paper and you roll it to the person that you want to talk about and say something nice about them and then you know by the end of it we'll have a godly web and <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> I mean I know this is inside baseball between you and me but man holy cow you are really really nailing a lot of the uh, the dynamics of our formative years I'm I'm deeply out of sorts right now and uh, then after all that we're gonna get some doubt rods and uh, do an interpretive dance and that's precisely the moment you went too far much like what actually <laughs> happened in our background so hey Ralph breaks the internet Sarah Silverman broke my will to live I'm yeah. probably gonna miss this one too I'm gonna get a letter from the uh, Southern Baptist Convention about this podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah Right. <laughs> they are just now finding out about CDs. They're, they're not quite caught up to this whole digital audio thing yet. Oh, man. I uh, can't wait for them to discover DC Talk. All right. Anyway, the last one I've got bleeds over into the horror reporter, and it's a uh, it's the trailer for a brand new series from Hulu called Into the Dark. And so this is what I'm going to do, Jeff, since it pretty much bleeds into the first thing that you've got on the horror reporter. Why don't you just take it away from here? Well, so we're getting quite a few really good projects from streaming services, or at least what sound like pretty good uh, series from streaming services. So we have talked about and raved about and anticipated and begged for and everything else positive about the House on Haunting, Haunted Hill uh, series coming from Mike Flanagan and Netflix. Hulu is jumping into the game with this holiday horror anthology series, which, boy, let me just tell you, that raises all, kind of, all kinds of red flags for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's being backed by Bloomhouse. And did you watch the trailer? I did. Okay. So I'm going to consider us um, officially bridged over into... Man, didn't the trailer look good? Oh, yeah. 100%. Did you, I mean, did you have any expectations when you click play? Uh, I, I did not. I saw this trailer while I was while I was finishing up 
uh, Castle Rock. That was oh. the first time it came on my radar. Okay. Well, and, do you uh, remember a couple years ago, we watched uh, an anthology film that had holiday-themed horror movies? Do you remember that? Well, we tried to watch it, but we turned it off real quick. Yeah, what was that called? I have blocked that out of my memory. Dude, I don't know. It was on the 30-day. We need to talk to Jody about it because it was on his scarathon. Yes, that's right. That's right. And I think the one that broke my will to continue was the Haunted Easter Bunny. Yeah, the, the evil Demo- Easter Bunny one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was the one where, where we both looked at each other and went, no, this is too much. Sure. That's exactly yeah. what was in my head when I was like, oh, holiday horror anthology series. But I think Bloomhouse may have the magic touch because that trailer really hooked me. Um, so what they're going to do is one episode, which is going to be basically movie length, one episode for every holiday. There's going to be a, you know, uh, uh there's going to be 12 of these things. So you're going to get, I guess, some psycho version of Leprechaun for St. Paddy's Day. Yes. Uh, and it's going to kick off for this Halloween season, I think on October 5th. Does that sound right? Um, I believe that is true. Let me double check. I'm right here. This bad boy starts. Um, it doesn't say. Okay. Hang on. Uh, yes, October fifth is the is when the body debuts. Yeah, and the body, uh, as you just said, the debut episode. Uh, it's going to be a hitman who uses social media to make his latest conquest extra special, according to Jason Bloom, who also at the same time told us this would be uh, a series where each individual episode would be created by different filmmakers and different casts. Uh, in November, we're going to get Flesh and Blood, which focuses on a teenager with agoraphobia who thinks her dad's a killer. Uh, pageant winner horror coming around New Year's Day. So uh, Prom Queen is being redone for this, I guess. Overprotective Mom for Mother's Day. Totally missed the boat to to do something in the vein of the Babadook there. He he finished by saying no holiday is off limits, not even Easter. If they don't give me a demonic Easter bunny or zombie Jesus, I'm in for every one of these. Yeah. Yeah. What if instead of hiding Easter eggs, they're hiding eyeballs or something like that? Yeah, I'm still out on that one. Okay, fair enough. It wasn't my best idea, I'll admit. Yeah, well, it's better than what we saw in that anthology, whatever oh, man. its yeah. name was. Holy smokes. It was it was garbage, was what it was. Yeah, so Jody, get on We Saw Something Scary and tell us what that hot piece of garbage was so that everybody can go block it from their watch lists. Uh, yes, Jody. Anyway, I'm all in on Hulu here. I guess at this point, dude, I'm, I'm probably going to buy the new Disney streaming service when it comes out. Yeah. And with Castle Rock and this... I, I guess Hulu's going to get some of my change. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be in the same place I was when I had cable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it piles up, man. Uh, special shout out to Sprint. When I switched to Sprint, when I moved here to Missouri, uh, I got free Hulu in, uh, included into my uh, cellular package. So appreciate that, guys. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. I'm also paying for DirecTV now, have been since the day that thing dropped, but it's only, I've got a special introductory rate that's locked in for oh, as long nice. as I continue the service, whatever. You're grandfathered in. Yeah. N- nobody cares about this. <laughs> Light the fire. No, we're done with that. Okay. Uh, so, um, anything else to say about Bloomhouse's horror anthology series? No, man. I'll you know I'll give them the Shyamalan treatment, right? I'll I'll like it until they give me a reason not to. Sounds good. Sounds good. Bloomhouse. I we've said this about Netflix too. I think Bloomhouse gets the benefit of the doubt, and this certainly yep. applies here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one particular listener near and dear to our hearts is going to be excited about my next item here for you, Derek. What? What? The Miramax CEO says because of the resurgence of uh, popularity in horror movie franchises where they're rebooting classics like Halloween, another project we're all looking forward to this coming month. 
Uh, Miramax may bring back, well, Hellraiser, to which I say whoopty freaking do, <laughs> but uh, but also maybe Scream. Okay. So let's see. Cinema Blend, Eric. Cinema Blends Eric Eisenberg caught up with Miramax CEO Bill Block. That sounds like a lot of that is made up. Those are comic book names. Eric Eisenberg, Bill Block. Uh, But nonetheless, fake Eric asked fake Bill about the futures (laughs) of Hellraisers and Scream. Nothing concrete is in, uh, you know, is set yet, but the studio has them at the forefront of their future plans. He says Halloween was originally a Miramax license. Uh, I bet they're kicking themselves in the hind end. You'll see more of these coming from the studio now. I'll have things to share with you. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. You mentioned something there that we're working on. Two things in there that we're working on. This is going to be a part of the new program. So, hey, we might get some more Scream. Okay. Are you are you good with that? Um, I mean, I, 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 what more is there left to do, I guess, would be my first thing. Um, if it's if it's not Courtney Cox and David Arquette and Nev Campbell, then... Then no, uh, I feel like the, you know I've I've invested a lot of time in those characters and enjoy seeing those characters pop up on my screen. Even with Scream Four, which I didn't think was the strongest, um, I enjoyed seeing those characters back on my screen. But I don't know, man. I, I you know I, I watched the MTV show and I wasn't particularly impressed with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so now I'm just kind of like, I mean, it, it would take a lot. Like it would it would take it would take a, a really good. A movie for me to be vested in those, like invested in a. Uh, you everything okay over there, man? <laughs> yeah, I just got some rumblings of the floor. Okay, sorry about that. Um, no, it's, it's fine. I just wanted to make sure that like Ghostface was there to kill you. It's it's hard to record a podcast in the fetal position, but I'm doing the best <laughs> I can. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, long story longer. I I'm. I couldn't really care less about either one of these. Well, here's here's the thing. I don't know who you who you have helm a new scream that will do justice to Wes, right? Not named Mike Flanagan. Well, here's the thing. I don't know that Flanagan is the number one pick if I had control of this franchise. Do you want to guess who I would go for? Uh, Mike D. After Mike D. Who's that? Well, it has a relationship to our next item on the Horror Reporter, since you're looking at the run sheet. Oh, really? That's who you give it to? Yeah, I'd give it to Christopher Landon, and I would tell him, we're going to make Happy Death Day the next Scream. And, I mean, I'd like pull in Jessica Roth and just try to replicate it. That movie is the closest to Scream that I've seen since then, in terms of, like, caught me by surprise pleasantly, gave me characters I care about, got the slasher genre right, could mix in a little humor. If yeah. they if they dial the humor down like ten percent, that would be the scream I would want to see. Okay. So Christopher Landon, Jessica Roth, time to rebrand. Look, I'm all for anything that gets Jeff, Jessica Roth on my uh, screen more. So, yeah, I'm down. I would I would be down for that. I just don't know how you do it without killing, you know, the good thing that is Happy Death Day. Because I could, I think I could watch like five Happy Death Days at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I guess Flanagan can't do Scream because he's doing I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll give Flanagan, he gets by far the benefit of the doubt treatment we talked about earlier. But there's... um. There's a campiness to Scream that I don't know. Well, I, I don't doubt him being able to do anything, really, but I've not seen it in his movies yet. Yeah. But I saw it on Happy Death Day. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. So anyway, yeah. it, that's that's your formula, Miramax. Um, get on that and just forget all that mess about Hellraiser. Okay. I was just about to say, no, uh, 
no comment on Hellraiser. No, I mean, really, if if I could control that as well, because I'm not a fan of that franchise, feel free to send your hate tweets at me. Um, I would Actually, get- not this week, guys. Jeff's going through some stuff, so give him this week off. Well, next week, send your hate tweets to me. <laughs> You know who I, you know who I'd give Hellraiser to? Uh, M Night Shyamalan, Rob Zombie, and just let him go. Uh, you know, uh, let the two things eat, eat eat themselves. Just get rid of you know, kill two birds with one stone. I should have figured that out. I shouldn't have went with who I hate. I should have went with who you hate. So that's my fault. Doesn't Rob Zombie seem like the ideal person to make a movie about hellborn cinnabites who torture people? Oh yeah, and yeah. doesn't it also sound like exactly the kind of excuse I need to never pay attention to it at all? Yeah, for sure. What's the what's the guy's name? Pinhead or whatever. Mm-hmm. He looks. Oh, we're like not he talking about Rob Zombie. <laughs> See what I did there. Love it. See what I, I did do. There. That's clever. Um, we're not. I mean, he looks like somebody from a Rob Zombie movie. Pinhead does. Yep. So yeah, you're right on that. Good call. And you know, I, just so I'm on the record about this, I, I, it really does depress me that Rob Zombie is so terrible at making horror movies because I've always really enjoyed his music, be it White Zombie or the solo stuff. Yeah. Uh, I even liked his brother's stuff in Power Man 5000, I think was the name of the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't get the stink of all his horror movie awfulness off the music now when I hear it. Sure. All right. Enough uh enough on that one. Maybe we'll get some scream. If they do it right, we'll get it through the through the creative hands of Christopher Landon. But we've already mentioned this. Third point here today is that Happy Death Day to You gets a Valentine's Day release. Derek, we are just yeah. running through themes here. Holiday based horror, um, lots of Amazon references. I mean, this is just all there's just all these threads. I feel like I'm in the Matrix. Yeah. My mental break's yeah. almost complete. <laughs> Take the blue pill. (laughs) So let me read you the synopsis from, I believe, Bloody Disgusting. Tree is back from the dead again and again and again and again and again. And happy death day to you. That is the number two and the letter U, a sequel to last year's Groundhog Day style slasher film, Happy Death Day, in case you were under a rock and didn't know that, which Universal Pictures just announced will release on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2019. Cannot believe the Mrs. Wright will want to go celebrate the holiday in that film, but I'm going to try. Uh, breakout star Jessica Roth will be returning as the main character, Tree uh, Gelbman. And listen, does this surprise you? While Israel Broussard will also be back as Carter Davis, Tree's boyfriend. Huh. Okay. That guy kind of made a mess of things on his social media. And yeah, he kind of, he kind of, uh, he kind of made love to the pooch there for a minute. I, I thought that might cost him, but I guess they're bringing him back. We have, we have the yeah. Israel Broussard rehabilitation tour coming to your neck of the woods in February. Well, hot dog. Yeah. Uh, we've got some details about science enthusiasts and geeks who enjoy coding. I'm not going to give that to you. We're just all going to rejoice that we get more Happy Death Day this February. Yeah, man. Excited. And it's still in Christopher Landon's hands, so more power to him. Yeah. Keep them coming. Yeah, for sure. Even if you have to name them, scream. <laughs> yeah. And also, I think it's obligatory to, to say thank you, Allison, for putting Happy Death Day on our radar. For sure. Because I, I don't think Jeff or I, either one, was going to watch that until you suggested it. So thank you. Absolutely the truth. And, and you get how the lady who loves Scream 3 would be like provoked positively by Happy uh, Death Day. And yeah. guess what? It worked. Yeah. Speaking of working, uh, I'm going to work you into a fight here, brother. <laughs> R.L. Stein has signed on to write six more Goosebumps books. Did you know that? Okay. I did not know that, but that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's all as it should be. Scholastic has already released three of these new ones. Okay. And apparently the last month's was called The Ghost of Slappy. (laughs) (laughs) He told uh, Medium that there's six more on the way. 
I don't think authors retire, Stein told the interviewer when he was asked about his prolific career potentially coming to an end at some point. I think of Robert B. Parker, who, truth be told, Derek, I don't know who that is, uh, but he just dropped dead on his keyboard. I think that's the way to go. Anyway, I just signed on to do six more Goosebumps books. (laughs) That's such a weird way of putting it. (laughs) It it goes further. He ended the interview, I guess, by saying maybe some of them will be posthumous. I don't know. So, Oh, wow. Okay. He's planning his own happy death day. Holy smokes, man. Um, I, I, I angered you on uh, my other podcast, Pop Culture Quorum Deo, when I said Night of the Living Dummy is the best Goosebumps book. Uh, straighten me out. Uh, so, so yeah. So uh, you and I spoke about this off air uh, several hours ago, and I was actually at the gym listening to uh, your episode. And when I heard that, I, I just got into a rage and hulked out and lifted a bunch of heavy weight. But um, glad to help. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so number one, thank you very much. Uh, and then I, I came back and told you that I had a bone to pick with you, and I said that the Phantom of the Auditorium is the best uh, Goosebumps book. I actually am going to disagree with myself. The Phantom of the Auditorium is my favorite Goosebumps book, but I think pound for pound, uh, The Haunted Mask is his best. Okay, now I know The Haunted Mask, I believe I have read. I have not read Phantom of the Auditorium. Could, well, you'll could be you- getting it next week, good brother. So. Sweet. I'm I'm delighted. I I would love to go back and read those Goosebumps books. Maybe I'll come on here with a special horror reporter and give you a uh, an update on my my reread through those. Yeah, but um, I uh, I have it ordered, and Amazon Prime will have it on my doorstep Friday, and then I'll send it to you from there. So. Oh, you are a kind and generous man, my friend. I told you I would, so not a problem. Well, so can you give us a sketch of those two, um, Fan of the Auditorium, and what was the other one, The Nightmare Mask? Uh, it's called The Haunted Mask. The Haunted Mask. Could you give us the yep. broad strokes? Sure. So The Haunted Mask is, uh, it was actually the 11th book in the Goosebumps series, if you can believe that. And it was actually the first episode of the television series. Okay. So if you guys grew up like I did and watched, watched the television series, I think it was like a special... You remember how Fox used to do those specials with R.L. Stein, where he would introduce it, and then they would do the, you know, they'd have it and stuff. Mm-hmm. So anyway, long story short, it's uh, the the plot of the story is Carly Beth is a shy, timid eleven year old. She's pretty much scared of everything. She's constantly being pranked by these two uh, bullies, Chuck and Steve. Her mom tries to make her wear this silly duck costume for Halloween. And she hates it because obviously she wants, you know, she wants to scare these guys and things like that. So she finds this Halloween store, this Halloween mask store, and it's closed. Somehow she gets in. I forget. I think maybe the store manager comes in or maybe she picks the lock or something. I don't know. She looks through the masks. She doesn't see anything that's good enough, like scary enough. She goes back into the back room and she finds all these hideously deformed masks. She she picks one up. The store owner Reluctantly sells her one. Carly Beth goes home. She puts it on. Um, it gets tight on her, makes her voice change. She begins to become more aggressive as the night goes on. Uh, she she finally does scare Chuck and Steve. And then when she gets home, or actually when she gets to her friend's house, she realizes that she can't take the mask off. It's actually become her face. Oh, my. Yeah. And so the the rest of the book is Carly Beth trying to get this mask off of her before time runs out. Because I think like at the stroke of midnight, the mask becomes her face permanently if she can't get it off. 
Oh, oh, dark Cinderella. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. The jo- the joke I'm about to make is going to sound more flippant, but do you think Stein paid royalties to the people who who made the mask comic book that the Jim Carrey movie was based on? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I heard that they all went out to a bar and it was smoking. Uh, oh, so. oh, oh, oh. All right. So well, I'm I'm going to check out the haunted mask. That does actually sound familiar. But I, yeah. I will read that one as well. Then what about the Phantom of the Auditorium? Okay, so Phantom of the Auditorium, uh, uh, two the the two main characters are Brooke and Zeke. They're best friends. Um, they, you know, people think that they're boyfriend and girlfriend, but they're not. They're just best friends. They begin to work on a play called The Phantom, which is a heavily edited version of The Phantom of the Opera. And Zeke takes the role of the Phantom. Brooke is cast as... This is how Zeke's trying to get out of the friend zone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Zeke becomes... Zeke takes the role of the Phantom. Brooke becomes Esmeralda. Um, there is a... And then all of a sudden, this new boy pops up. And he's like painting and uh, things of that nature. Anyway, then all this stuff starts to happen, right? Uh, apparently, seventy-two years before that, um, there was a uh, they were going to put on the Phantom play at the high or excuse me at the middle school, and uh, opening night, the boy who was supposed to play the Phantom disappears and was never found again. Mm. And yeah, so it's kind of like a whodunit of you know, is this a ghost? Is this somebody living under the theater? Um, you know, and stuff. And so for, for a kid like me who had aspirations of being, you know, in movies and theater and things like that, and, and the Phantom of the Opera being one of my favorite musicals of all time, this was the one that kind of drew me in. And I was like, yeah, I like this one a lot. But I, I remember, um, I remember I had a little compartment in my closet, right? And so you pull back the clothes and there's this like little shelf looking thing that, could fit a curled up Derek with his book inside the shelf. And so anytime that I was having a bad day or just wanted to get away from everybody, I would just go into my room, go into that closet and hide behind my clothes and read these books. And this is the one I remember the most. So, Okay. Well, man, I'm super excited to to read that, and I will report back once I have done so. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I was really shocked that I – well, I wasn't shocked that I could find it on Amazon, but I was shocked that I found it uh, as inexpensive as it was and happily bought you one and bought myself one. And I uh, can't wait to have those here this weekend. So, All right. Well, brother, that is going to wrap up – Are you ready to get started on the feature presentation in this episode? Yeah, man. Choo-choo, all aboard the Foreshadowing Express. All right, let's pull the curtain on searching. Hey, here's where I want to start, Derek. What is the most, the more heartbreaking opening montage? Up or searching? Dude, it's neck and neck. It is, isn't it? I, I, hand to God, I cried watching this movie. Yeah, it got dusty. Now I'm telling you, it's my dadness. Um, it, it's easy to picture my little girl growing up into a young lady like the young lady we saw here on Searching. Uh, yeah. It's not hard to see me and the misses in the opening montage of Up. It it definitely got dusty uh, in both, and and I guess I can't pick between the two either. So we'll just call it a tie. Yeah, man. Uh, I I only watched up once, and I only made it through that opening montage, and I went, ah, screw it, I can't watch this movie. So I've never, you you know, you talked about the fact that you you haven't seen several movies like Creed and things like that. I've never watched up fully the entire way through because the opening montage to up killed me. Um, but but searching, man. Um, 
as someone who has gone through the loss of his mom watching mm. that, I mean, th- the only thing I can say is like, thank goodness that the theater was empty. Mm. Cause I was just like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm laughing, dude. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that it's the impression, not the, not the emotion. Yeah. I, no, I'm I really don't. sorry. I, I, I audibly, I audibly said, screw you, John Cho. Yeah. So you have every right to, <laughs> you have every right to laugh, but it, uh, I'm glad that you made that comparison because that's the exact same thing I thought is I was like, dear God, why do these, why do these movies just come out of nowhere with these horrible, <laughs> so heartbreaking montages? Yeah. Now I'm on the other side of this. I've seen up multiple times. My kids will ask for me to put it on and I'll put it on for them. I'm most often though, we'll kind of find some reason to be out of the room during the, the montage and I'll, I'll yeah. make my way back in when he's a salty old man. Yeah. Good call. Um, this is, I think it's a, that opening montage, um, is a credit to the, the director who, man, I'm just dreading having to say the creative names behind this film. <laughs> <laughs> My tongue is already recoiling, but it was really well done. It got you emotionally and it used like 10 minutes worth of time. Yeah. So up is the obvious comparison. You know, the other one that I thought of. What's that? Mama. Oh yeah. Good call. Yeah. And I actually think that's a sign of a really skilled storyteller that he can use a montage and credit scroll to get you really invested in the characters and the story before you really actually see anything about the characters or the story in terms of their actual performance. Uh, So I doff my cap to the guy who made this movie, who I'm just going to let you pronounce if it needs to be pronounced. Anish Chiganti. There you go, man. Thank you. That's either that guy or a a great wine that me and my wife need to try the next time we go on a date. (laughs) Or both. Maybe. Maybe. Um, I think really the opening question, though, has to actually be this, Derek. At what point in the movie, assuming it's after the montage, but maybe not knowing you, (laughs) when did you know the ending? Crap. Hang on. Wahlberg. Dang it. What? No. Spoiler alert. Uh, I knew the ending. Um, let's see. I knew the ending when uh, she tells the story about her her son taking the $25 from the lady and her covering it up for him. I went, oh, so that's how this works out. Yeah. That's that's when that's when I went, oh, so she's the bad guy and he's the he's the Robert that I noticed was in Pam. Was it Pam or Pat? What was the what was the lady's name? Um, Mrs. Uh, John Cho. What was her name? Pam. We'll call her Pam. Yeah, it, it was either. Pam. It was it was Pam. So, um, you know, they show you Pam's contacts. Then it shows uh, Margot's friends, and it said like Robert, and it had a different last name than what Vic, Vic. was, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so, it, but it said, "Mom's a cop, uh, divorced, has a crush on Margot." Yeah. And as soon and as soon as she said her name or the the kid's name was was Robert, I went, "Oh, there it is." And then, um, you know, and, and, and then from there you've got the, you know, she, he stole $25 from the old woman. He's stealing $2,500 from Margot. I mean, there's just, there's lots of things that added up to it. So by the end of it, I think it's supposed to be this gasp. I can't believe she was involved in it, but I was like, yeah, you get that heifer. (laughs) Put her, put her behind bars. I think at one point, 
it's Will been, can't help you now, Grace. That's what I wanted to say. Well, anyway, meta. Um, no. At one point, I think she says she even took twenty five hundred from one from one woman or something like that. He uh, she says she says that he took he took twenty five dollars from that old lady. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought there was twenty five and twenty five hundred. I I could be wrong about that. I'll I tell you, for me, looking back on this one. They really do give you breadcrumbs all along that kind of point you in that direction. Yeah. Um, but but for me, and and this may not be surprising to other people, but when you see Margot go to high school, they take a picture of, you know, one of the pictures that's taken and shown sort of in the, hey, look at the kid growing up uh, montage yeah. is her in front of the school sign. And you remember what the, what the uh, mascot of the school was, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. They were the catfish. Right. And so the whole time I was like that, there's never been a high school. I mean, I'm in the deep South. If there's ever going to be a high school with a mascot, you know, that's the catfish. I'm going to have seen it already. I never have. There's never been a school with that mascot and catfishing is just too close to what I already know about this movie. And I just spent the whole time waiting for her to get catfished. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that, that was another thing that was that was part of it was you know you see the catfish and and then you also see the fish and chips uh, uh, yeah call yeah. sign that 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 Robbie had you know that was mm-hmm. um, yeah uh, the fish and chips and I was like oh okay yeah so this is just this is just a catfish story and then when she said the thing about the twenty five dollars with her son and how she covered it up for him I was like oh yeah so she's involved and uh, the son's involved too and, and then. Another big one was when they're they're yelling about, you know, David attacked that kid. Derek, I believe was his name, of course. Um, seems like any douchey person in a movie is named Derek for some reason. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, David confronts him about Mar- uh, about Margot because he writes that very raunchy Facebook post, uh, winds up attacking uh, Derek, and then... Robbie comes in while they're video chatting and she goes, I'm handling it, Robbie. And I was just like, are we just going to point like, why don't you just write effing killer on your forehead, Deborah Messing? Because, I mean, that's obviously where we're going with this. Well, longtime listener, friend of the podcast and my fellow pop culture Cormdale host, Jared Moore, he said that was what it was for him. That is such a, hey, remember she has a son moment. Yeah. That it's hard to get past it and be like, I don't know exactly how things are going to tie together, but he was just literally insert. He should have been wearing a sign that said something along those lines, you know, yeah. remember me, something like that. So, yeah, yeah. The record should have scratched and he should have been like, yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I got myself into this. Yeah. So I don't want to beat up on this movie at the jump. I like this movie. I thought it was fairly clever and did a good job being a thriller. Just, you know, a few of these were a little heavy handed, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, and I guess if you look at it from the sense of like a murder mystery, which is what this, you know, this kind of is a whodunit, you want to leave your viewers with breadcrumbs enough where they can be like, oh, yeah, of course it was this person. Right. Right. But I just felt like that there were just too many of them. Like I, I noticed the dude who confessed was in that picture with her because like I remember they showed that picture of Deborah Messing and with you know all those guys around her and I was like okay that's got to be something and then Homeboy shows up later and I was like I'm pretty sure that was the dude in the picture with her and then you know of course she is he is and I was like yep there you go. So I don't know, man, maybe, you know, maybe predicting movies is just my spidey sense and no one else notices stuff like that. But try harder, Anish. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, this one, I think 
Uh, don't get me wrong. I figured because it was so transparent to me that you probably picked it like about the time the last set of uh, previews went off. But on, on that same, like, I think like 15 minutes into it, I text you and I was like, hey, I'm in searching and Deborah Messing's the bad guy. You, did. you absolutely did. I just <laughs> I just sent you back a smiley because, you know, what am I going to do? But you're, you're talking about that photo of her building the, I can't remember what it was, like a clinic with ex-cons, and it showed her with the construction crew. Yeah, it's like a Habitat for Humanity or something like that. Yeah, that dude is so conspicuously over her shoulder, looking like yeah. uh, a predator, that you can't be like, I don't know what's going on here, but I know I'm supposed to notice that guy. Right. So, yeah, I, again, not beating up on this. Uh, I enjoyed the movie despite feeling like I saw where it was going, but nonetheless, pretty pretty heavy uh, dropping of clues for the audience all along. Well, yeah, I, for sure. Uh, here, you um, go ahead. You go uh, ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, yeah, even though like I knew what was going on and stuff, I still really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed this movie probably more than I have the last four or five movies that we reviewed on this podcast. So um, even though it was a little – um, transparent, a little like, oh, I already know what's going on. This was still a really, really good movie, and it was really well done. And um, and not only that, man, but I mean, this thing hinges on the performance of John Cho. Sure. And he, honestly, if if you if you don't love and respect John Cho, then I really don't have any reason for you to be in my life. Hard to argue. Um, I, before we leave, the like, hey, what'd you see coming? Thing, did you see her being still alive? Yeah, because of the the rainwater thing. Right. So that one did catch me. It, it wasn't because um, of the, you know, I couldn't put it together that she could be alive. I lost track of the internal timeline of the movie. I thought by the time we got to her memorial and then we saw her arrested, that we were a couple weeks down the road from the okay. disappearance. And so when you know when she says in her interview with the police, she, you know he he told them to turn around or whatever. Yeah, I was like, are they are they wanting us to go? Are we going to go look and find the dead body? You know what I mean? Yeah. But you're right. At the very beginning of the movie, they run a story about a guy who was a hiker who survived on rainwater when he was lost in the forest. And uh, if I had if I had had a sense of the internal timeline, I I think I would have been like, oh yeah, she's alive, laying at the bottom of that ravine. Yeah, uh, here, here's a couple more for you that um, I was just thinking about. So when David goes on to the UCAS profile and opens up that that streaming video, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like that comedic moment where he's just staring into the camera, not knowing what what to do immediately fish and chips comes on realizes that it's not Margo and immediately logs out. Mm. Yes, that's Um, right. I remember that. That's right. So then as David is going back through her archives, which you can also do through our archives at saw something scary.com. When he's going back through the archives, uh, fish and chips is one of the first people that talks to her, but that user doesn't have a profile picture for like the first couple uh, videos that Margo was in. Mm-hmm. And then on like the second or third one, it pops up with that picture of the girl. Which, hey. by the way, too, that's another one I thought was a little heavy handed because it was clearly from the moment you see that profile photo, you're like, oh, stock photo. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely thought that as well. Uh, and then th- my favorite one was when David is talking to Vic 
And he just like almost casually mentions like Margot's a completely different person to me. Vic responds with, oh, hold on. You just gave me an idea. And she hangs up. And then the next time she talks to David, she she brings up Margot's fake identity. Yeah, I didn't. To this very moment, I didn't even put that together. But that's now that you say it is obvious as. Yeah. It could possibly, which, you know, credit to the fine wine who made this movie. I, <laughs> <laughs> that one, that one did probably what he wants it to do for me, right? That I look back in hindsight and go, oh, yeah. Right. So, I, yeah, I don't want, I don't mean to lay claim to, uh, you know, the, the wise man who's seen it all before um, in this movie. Some of these things I only know in hindsight, but. Some of it, I did feel like they telegraphed from a mile away. Yeah. But more power to them. I think not. it's just not her wheelhouse. I think my wife will have that, oh, yeah, moment when I show her this film initially, eventually, rather. Yeah. She'll, again, you know, horror and thrillers, just not what she loves to watch. And so I think she will be pleasantly surprised by the end of it. And it'll... It'll give this movie, you know, some life in the red box phase of its existence, you know. Sure. Also, did it ever dawn on you that when David is talking to Peter uh, about the gumbo and the doorbell rings and Peter's like, oh, hey, man, I got to go, that it's Margot who's ringing the doorbell? No, that didn't dawn on me either. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did So did you buy for a minute that there was something sleazy going on between the two of them sexually? Yeah, I did. Me too. I mean, like my stomach turned and I was like, freak, don't do this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this movie is going to become much. I mean, I, I realize what I'm saying. I'm talking about a, a, a young lady who was pushed off a cliff and left for dead. That's a dark story. But like, I'm the guy earlier who said I didn't want to read a book about another man's child getting addicted. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to swim in that sewer. So yeah, yeah, no, and and then when he said weed, th- that was the only time in the movie I went, well, of course you moron, of course you sure. went to get weed. I mean, they they showed the smoking gun literally earlier in the movie, right? Yes, yes so of course. of course that's that's where they're going, and of course she doesn't want her dad to know about it, and blah 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 blah. blah. So kudos to uh, the vintage um, for for doing that, but. Uh, but yeah, th- there were, there was that split second through my head where I was like, you can't tell me that they're going to go down this incest angle with this movie after being such a great movie to dirty it like that would just be stupid. Yeah. It, it would have completely ruined the film. Yeah. Uh, so can I ask you about just the way this movie is made? Because that's obviously got to be part of any conversation about it. Sure. Um, I guess the same producer who did the unfriended movies did this one mm-hmm. and I'm going to try his name, uh, Basilevs. Okay. Um, well, anyway, that's the name of his production company. It's run by the producer and director Timur Bekmabintov. Oh, Bekmabintov. Anyway, it's that guy. It's his production company. And you see how Unfriended and Searching look so much alike. Yeah. But according to an interview I found, uh, or rather a review about this movie on The New Yorker, uh, that guy and his production company have something like 20 plus computer screen movies in development. And he thinks oh, it's a new way to tell movies that basically don't have traditional rules like you would have in a straightforward narrative that's played out with actors. Okay. So Unfriended, obviously, Unfriended Dark Web, uh, it did a lot of the same things Searching did about making the movie just be close 
close-up shots of websites. Right. There was an Elijah Wood movie I saw referenced a couple of times from 2014 called Open Windows. Did you see that? No, sir. I didn't either. Uh, but apparently it does similar things. I think one of the Paranormal Activities did uh, something like this. Okay. And then Friend Request had a little bit of this sort of telling the story through online screens. Um, is this the next found footage genre? Whew. Man, I hope not. The, if it is, I mean, this guy's going to make, if he if he's able to bring half these 20 plus films and development to the screen, it's kind of got to be, right? Yeah. Um, do you think it could have the same kind of legs that found footage had? Uh, I mean, if you make it more towards this and not more towards Unfriended, I think so. Yeah. So you think quality and maybe thriller rather than mass produced horror is the way to yeah. go? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got you a genre name. I think we're going to be the the first people in the uh, in the economy to to brand this new genre. Okay. Uh, these are screen stream films. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So from now on, when you're talking about unfriended, unfriended dark web or searching or whatever comes out from the production company Basilevs by the guy whose name I also can't pronounce, right? You know, Tamora. Say, hey, new Tamora, screen stream. Tamora and Pumbaa. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm laughing at that. Does that make me a bad person? <laughs> No, it's all good. It just makes me a Southerner with a tongue that can't say certain things. You have a Persian friend. It's all good. (laughs) All right. So we've we've rebranded the genre, or we've branded for the first time the genre. Yeah, Uh, I like that a lot. Screen stream films. What we have not branded, though, is something you've already mentioned. So why don't you take us away on this one? With John Cho in this, do you love him or do you love him? Yeah. Do you love him or do you double love him, right? It's at least double love. Yeah, for sure, man. This guy, I think you and I have had this conversation. Why I know that we've had this conversation before because we've talked about certain movies or certain TV shows and stuff. And every time that John Cho pops up, I'm like, John Cho, this is going to be great, even if it's garbage. Right? See the second season of The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. Or um, Sleepy Hollow. Yes, that's another one. That's exactly right. Like, that thing has a long time ago jumped the shark, but John Cho's great. Yeah. And, I mean, there's several movies you can think of that have John Cho in them, and you're like, John Cho, yes, this is going to be good. Um, he did a guest spot on How I Met Your Mother. That's one of my favorite episodes because I was like, oh, it's a John Cho. This is great. Uh, the dude's the dude's terrific, and I feel like that he's been underrated for so long, and I'm glad to see him. Um, you know, it's it's great. Uh, you, you know, you can talk race and things like that. You know, it's great that an Asian American is is uh, starring in a movie like this and things like that. But it, I'm just happy that John Cho is getting to be a leading man in something besides Harold and Kumar. Well said, and like like you said, it, it's not even about race ultimately. Like he is just so good. And he he has deserved a turn in the limelight as a leading man. Um, Last week, Christy and I were looking for something to watch one night, and we put on Tom Hanks' The Burbs. Yeah. Which I don't know if you've watched that in a long time, and that's really worth going back to watch. It is. It's the perfect ending to the 80s. It came out in 89. Like, that thing just – I'm still in that from a letterbox review I read, but – the guy nailed it. This is this is the way the 80s go out. But it reminded me that Tom Hanks used to be a comedic actor. Mm-hmm. And I had just, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm a fan of Shazam and everybody's talking about big because of it. I know this. I just had forgot it. And the same thing has happened to me with John Cho when it comes to Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I don't even think of that as the same person. Not, not because I want to beat up on Harold and Kumar. It's just that Cho has developed into a guy who can do everything apparently perfectly. Yeah. So I'm with you in the fan club club. Yeah. And it's amazing because when you look back at Harold and Kumar, 
Kumar. Cal Penn, uh, the guy who played Kumar, looked like he was going to be the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- there for a while, he was in everything. Um, you know, he even did a stint in House, and um, you know, and, and then he he left acting to go join the Obama mis- uh, the Obama administration. Um, and hasn't, to my recollection, really hasn't come back and done anything since leaving, uh, since leaving the, uh, Washington. But John Cho, man, is really, you know, he, he took, he took stuff that you probably would think that somebody like him shouldn't have to take and he made it great. And now he's getting his just desserts on it. So, uh, really happy that, that he was in a movie like this and really happy that, uh, he's getting opportunities like this, especially, you know, groundbreaking movies like this one. Well, if you join us in our fandom, I would recommend to our listeners an interview, if you hadn't seen it already, uh, with John Cho in GQ. It's called John Cho Doesn't Have All the Answers, and it's from August 14th. Uh, the, the interviewer is Kevin Nguyen, and it's available online. And I'm just going to throw a couple bits of data from that, Derek, see if this rattles anything loose you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, they asked him what drew him to searching, and he said it was the script. He said it re- it read like a very traditional thriller, and I mean that as a compliment because at its core, I wanted to do this kind of movie. I just miss the thriller genre. I feel like it's disappearing, and I I didn't realize that until he said it. It's kind of like how rock music disappeared before we all noticed it was gone. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to the radio and the Foo Fighters come on. You're like, hey, wait a minute, rock and roll. Where's that been? And I think he's right. I think the thriller has kind of gotten eaten up by either drama or in in more recent days, uh, highbrow horror movies from like A24. So thanks, John Cho. You've, you've helped me understand my world a little bit better. Yeah, for real. He also turned this movie down initially. Uh, he said the concept of shooting on devices was a turnoff. Uh, um uh, he said, or rather so foreign, I didn't know whether I wanted to be involved in it. I had a phone call with the niche and I said, no, I just didn't feel like we could get there. I also didn't know what the process would be like. It just seemed like we were cruising for a bruising in a lot of ways. But then he and Nish came back to me. We met. I was really impressed with him after meeting him in person. He bought all, brought all these ideas on his laptop and was showing me what he planned. And I thought, let's take the jump. I liked him so much. Uh, I'm really happy they had that second meeting. Yeah, for sure. I'm really glad that Anish sold him on this idea. Did you see that Anish, I guess he and the director mocked up a rough version of this movie that they starred in? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think before they went into shoot, because this movie was shot super fast, most of the development was uh, getting this, the computer stuff right. Yeah, I mean, I think that they spent like two years on that, but then the filming itself took like three weeks, maybe? Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. And I think they showed the cast this rough version uh, before they started filming. And I, I guess when this thing comes out on Blu-ray, this is a candidate for me to buy. Uh, when this thing comes out on Blu-ray, it, it, I will buy it if that version's on there. I'd like to be able to see both of those. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Um, Anish, uh, he wrote and directed this movie, by the way. Well, hey, kudos to him, man. This looks like a passion project. It looks like a guy who I mean, maybe got inspired by Unfriended or something else, yeah. but took his time. Two years is a while for this kind of movie, this yeah. you know smaller scale movie. And he made it right. And I think he really deserves the acclaim he's getting. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So they had a seven week head start on shooting. So uh, Chiganti and producer Sev Ohanian uh, okay. hired hired the editors. And together they made a rough version of the film with Chiganti playing all of the characters that lasted for an hour and 40 minutes. So basically the entire movie. 
And then they showed uh, that version of the film to the crew before shooting in order to give everyone a feel of what they were trying to go for. Well, there we go. Let's yeah. Let's get this on the Blu-ray, please. Yeah, for sure, man. That would be that would be a really fun Easter egg. Um, Derek, I've got one other point before I ask you if we saw something scary. What else have we not covered that that you want to get to on this movie? I think that's about it, man. I mean. Um, you know, no disrespect to any of the other actors in this movie, but this really is a tour de force performance and a one man show from John Cho. Uh, and I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. Uh, and you know, you, you look back at these kinds of things and you're like, I couldn't see anyone else, but so-and-so play this, or I couldn't see anyone else, but so-and-so play this. I really wouldn't want anyone else, but John Cho to play this part. Yeah. And, uh, he does, he does such a great job. You know, I don't know if they doctored him up a little bit in those earlier videos to make him look younger or if they made him look older than he really is. Cause he, to me, he just, he ages drastically through this movie. And of course you would, right? You go through mm-hmm. traumatic experiences. It's going to put a toll on you. You know, you lose your wife to cancer. Now you've lost your daughter, you know, possibly forever. Um, so, I mean, clearly that's going to do some damage to you. And I, I just felt like that not only did, you know, did his looks, um, mean it, but man, just everything he did felt like a father who was trying to, to hold on to his last bit of sanity and his last bit of semblance and his last bit of normalcy that he had, you know, his world's been turned upside down. And, and not only that, but he's also like trying to, you know, he's bottling a lot of feelings about his wife that he hasn't been able to share with his daughter. And, and you can see that disconnect in the beginning. And, and the thing that really broke my heart besides the opening montage on this was the, the part where he puts mom would be proud too. And then it lingers and then it lingers and then he deletes it. And I was just mm-hmm. like, dude, and, and you know, and I think that we've all been in those situations, right. Where you're trying to connect with someone who maybe you have a disconnect with, or even, you know, you're both in mourning and you're trying to figure out things to say and things to do. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm dealing right now with a friend of mine who's going through a really traumatic experience, really tragic experience has happened in their lives. And I check on them every day, but there's often times where I don't have words. Sure. And, um, so, you know, maybe it's just that I'm, I'm dealing with that in my own personal life and stuff, but man, when that happened, I was just like, ah, that's, uh, that's, that's difficult. And he just, he plays, he just, he just does so well and it's just so natural. And, you know, I was, I was scared with the gimmicks on this movie, Mm. you know, with it all being in like on laptops and camera phones and, you know, FaceTime and things like that. But, uh, really came away from this movie uh, with a with a whole new respect for John Cho, but also really just this movie exceeded my expectations. It was a little predictable, but it ex- it exceeded my expectations. Well, well said. As you're as I'm listening to you kind of talk through how great his performance is, so much of what you described comes through just with his face in a web camera. Yeah. And that's amazing considering you don't have much to work with. You have voice, you have expression, and that's that's what you've got to use to to help you get to know this person and, and to see, like you said, a man who can't talk about what happened with his wife. So, uh, you know, he, he's struggling to, to, to connect with his daughter and can't really disconnect himself from his own online world. So much so that he's sleeping with the computer, uh, pulled up and, and the laptop on, you know, he's, he's, if he hadn't taken a sleeping pill, he would have hopped right back up. Cause you can see that like being online is sort of a refuge for him. Right. And as you said, he, he's aging as he's searching for his daughter. He's an every man, but he's also an every man who you can totally believe would go jump a jerk who said something 
uh, awful about his daughter. You know what I mean? Like, yep. um, and it all happens in facial expression. And in, in that way, he's like um, the the actress in Hereditary, Tony Collette. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's the maybe that's one of the untapped. You know, one of the, the the fields that actors can really explore in coming days is like, how much can I get across just with super tight camera shots on my face? Because yeah. I feel like two of the best movies I've ever seen in that regard came out within the last four months or however long it's been since Hereditary dropped. Yeah, good call. Yeah. Well, what did you think about? I mean, obviously, this movie wants to talk about our cultural moment with social media. And and sometimes when a film really is desperate to talk about something, it it flops. But I kind of felt like this thing got it pretty well. You agree or disagree? No, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, th- th- there are a lot of different points that you could be made on this, um, and I feel like that they they hit all of them fairly well. You know, you could have you could have went overboard with it, or, or like you said, you know, um, you say a bunch of hot air and not really make a point. But I really feel like that they did well with this. Sure, uh, specifically the two things I just want to call them out and praise is that they get the contradiction of social media in that we use it to mass broadcast in a way that like uh, TV executives of previous generations would have envied. We mass broadcast the most common and mundane parts of our lives, right? That's just weird. But then also it gives us this sense that we have more friends ever and, and like lets us quantify them, not just with how many friends you have on Facebook or people following you on Twitter, but how many people are liking your Instagram or whatever you know metric your heart is most attuned to. Sure. But because it's necessarily artificial, we're less known, Uh, you know, to whatever degree we're leaning into that online community. We've got more friends, but they know less about us, really, Mm -hmm. than, you know, the generations that came before the smartphone. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite part of the whole thing, well, not my favorite part of the whole thing, but one of my favorite things that backs up what you're saying is when he interviews the girl who had the study group mm-hmm. and she's like, ah, we didn't really know each other that well. It's no big deal. And then when Margot becomes missing, that same girl is on like her Facebook page or whatever. And she's like, she was my best friend. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, holy smokes, that's what we do now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we, we truly don't know many people, but when something bad happens to a person that we quote unquote know, man, it's all about us. Sure. The narcissism gets to come out hidden yeah. behind tears. Right. And, and, you know, and you, you make the plea of, I'm just a really good friend or that's what it looks like to, you know, to everyone else. But, you know, for you, it's that fulfillment of, oh, these people are, are paying attention to me now. And this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, you know, this isn't the purpose of this podcast, but uh, there's a there's an Atlantic um, article that came out a couple months ago. I think it's called A Lost Generation. And the subtitle is How Smartphones Are Changing, uh, you know, America's Youth or whatever. And it's a really good piece. But the same magazine just recently released the details of a study that said that um, teenagers think their parents spend too much time on their smartphones and, you know, at this point, it's flowing both ways. Parents are looking mm-hmm. and saying, uh, social media, smartphones are doing too much to to change our children. And the children are looking back at mom and dad and be like, you've got it just as bad as we do. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting moment to be alive in that way. You're seeing a technological revolution, not unlike the industrial revolution. Social media, technology, all bound up in that. I'll just put one little plug in for 
listeners who are interested in that stuff. Um, Obviously, if you've listened to the show very long, you know I'm a Christian in the historic sense of that word. And I talk about my faith on here a little bit. Um, There is a book that I read last year called 12 Ways Your Smartphone is Changing You. And it's one of the best Christian books I've read in years. And it's small. It's like 120 pages. And I would say, though, you know, feel free if you do this to get back and make you crazy, Jeff. I don't think that book is only profitable to Christians. I think it's really thought provoking to just take stock and say, in, in what ways is the cart leading the horse when it comes to my my cell phone? You know, we, we have our phone set to give us alerts. Because we want to control them in a way that alerts us to stuff that's happening. But it's sort of become the tail wagging the dog in that when the phone beeps, we're conditioned to go over there and see what it wants. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that book raises those questions. I think probably our listeners are smart enough if they're not believers, they're not religious, to say, yeah, you can keep the theology stuff. But what he talks about in terms of polling and data, um, like the hard science products about human interaction with smartphones – it's worth giving it a look. Yeah. So I don't make any money off of that. It's just 12 ways your smartphone is changing you. I I thought it was really provocative last year. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Well, hey, I tell you what, I'll trade you. Um, I'll get your address from the uh, Phantom of the Auditorium that shows up. I'll mail you my copy of 12 ways your smartphone oh, changing. Hey, I appreciate that, man. That'd be great. All right, man. So we've come to the ultimate point here. Did we see something scary? Uh, not from a traditional horror standpoint, no. But from a different um, point of view, from like a, di- uh, I don't know, almost like a realistic, um, this could this could actually happen mm. to you type of place. I do think we saw something scary because you, you find a father who realizes he doesn't know much about his daughter. You find a daughter who is desperately trying to connect with her father after the loss of her mother and is, is going down a downward spiral. Um, you know, you have, you have all of this amazing technology at the tip of your fingers, yet you can't find, you know, you can't find the person that you love the most. Uh, Things like that tend to terrify me. Um, so again, while it's not like Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger type scary, this could happen. And, and that's a really chilling thing to, to realize. For sure. If you define horror as a genre, as created or told for the purpose of provoking fear, like you just said, it doesn't do it the same way Michael Myers does or The Conjuring, but it hit that mark. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm going to say we saw something scary, just a different kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, let me just say this. Why didn't they ever track her iPhone? Maybe she had the location turned off. I I mean, I guess, but I would just... And that was something that went through my head the entire time because I was like, I would have went to find my iPhone, (laughs) you know, and be like, oh, she's in the ravine. Oh, crap. We got to get down there, you know. Yeah. Uh, But maybe maybe the battery was dead. Maybe the locations was off. Yeah. But we do see him FaceTiming with the battery at 12 percent on his end. Maybe she has the same living on the edge instincts about managing her smartphone battery. Yeah, could be. But you're right. I mean, I'm 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 being facetious here. I mean, that's just. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's picking nits, you know? Well, when did that technology get introduced? Several years ago. 
it, it wouldn't have been before they started working on this. No, no, I, I had I had that two or three years ago. So okay, okay. Uh, it's one of those parts of technology that you just forget when the feature was added because it feels like it always was there. Yeah, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine uh, had her cell phone stolen, and the person who stole it was trying to get money from my friend to get the uh, get the thing back, and we uh, we tried to use it to find it, and that was like probably five or six years ago. Okay, okay, so. Um. That's too convenient. How dare you pick that nit, Derek? We were all just happy not thinking about it. I know. Hey, uh, one more thing. Do you do you think that this ends happy or sad with her in the wheelchair? Do you think that it's like a temporary thing or do you think maybe she's paralyzed now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think they're intentionally being ambiguous about it. I don't think they're wanting to make a sequel. I just think they want you to to ask that question. You know, it's been long enough uh, since the fall when we last see a picture of her and him that she's back at school, which I assume would have taken quite a while. Yeah. And she's in a wheelchair. So I guess gun to my head, I'm going to think that, that she's paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess that makes sense. I mean, it's hard to go through something like she did without some kind of lasting physical trauma. Um, she is a pianist, though, and I, I'm assuming that there are modifications to pianos that can allow like what is traditionally the foot pedals to be moved. Sure. But she's clearly still playing piano. So maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe she's going to do therapy, get her legs strong again and, and be okay. I don't know. Yeah. You, what do you think? Uh, I want to say that she's okay. I want to say that it's a temporary setback, but that she's, she's okay. I'm a sucker for the happiest of endings. So let it no. be. If we ever get the chance to talk to Anish Chiganti, I'm going to ask him that question. Okay. Maybe we can line him up after we line up Flanagan. <laughs> I'm thinking we can probably line up Anish Chiganti before we can line up Flanagan. Flanagan's went radio silent on us. Yeah. Well, the the last thing I'm going to say on searching is that I was really ready for this movie. Mm-hmm. It may be because the nun let me down. Maybe because I'm living in the hype of like waiting for Flanagan's next big project and waiting for Halloween to come out. You, you know what I mean? Like we're in that season for horror fans where it's like something you've been waiting on for a long time is almost here. Right. But this being a little bit smaller and a little bit quieter, I was it, it's kind of like Ant-Man and the Wasp for me in that way. I was I was happy to not be in space with the Marvel characters when I got Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I hated Infinity War. I'm just I was ready for something more earthbound and okay. search, searching kind of scratched the same itch. I was I was glad to see something a little bit smaller scale. Yeah. All right, man. Scale of 1 to 10. I'm going to give this a seven and a half. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I was going to go heavy seven, so I'm just about half point behind you. Uh, this is a really well done movie, man. Really well done. I can't wait to, I can't wait to recommend it to people. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, like I said, I think that this is probably my favorite episode. Well, not my favorite episode. Uh, that too, but I think this is my favorite movie that we've seen since we probably did the Babadook. <laughs> it's been a long spell, man. Long yeah. spell. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could count if you count the Dark Knight, then obviously the Dark Knight. But, um, but yeah, I think probably the Babadook was the the one where I came out of it going, oh yeah, this was this was good. I'm glad that I watched this. Well, definitely in that same class for sure. Um, speaking of people, speaking of things in high class territory, Derek, you're an author. When uh, when can people find your book? Where can they find it? Where can they connect with you online? Yeah, hey man, uh, you can find everything about me out at DerekZoo.com, and uh, the book will be out in October. We're going to start doing uh, we're going to start doing pre sales and things like that um, in the first of October, and then the book will be out. 
and ready for uh, for shipping and things like that towards the end of October. So uh, had some had some delays come on that, but we're almost there and very excited for you guys to hear that. And then um, I will be also announcing early January tour dates um, for my uh, Derek Does Dixie tour that I'm going to be doing. And uh, we'll be hitting all sorts of great towns and cities like uh, Dayton, Ohio, and Cookville, Tennessee, and all sorts of stuff. So get on the train, baby. DerekZoo.com. Sweet, sweet. Uh, if you're interested in connecting with me outside of the world of Saw Something Scary, I'm at Right Jeff on most social media platforms. Derek, where can they find the uh, where can they find the podcast? Uh, you can find us at Scary Podcast on Twitter, and you can find us at Saw Something Scary on Facebook. You can also go to our Facebook group, We Saw Something Scary, and join that if you're not. And again, I, I just want to say, man, some of my favorite social media interactions that I have through the week is because of that uh, We Saw Something Scary Facebook group. So uh, to everyone who contributes, thank you. You guys are, are a lot of fun, and we always have a good time, even if we don't agree on everything uh, it's always fun to to hear your opinions and to connect with you guys. So if you're not a part of that yet and you're still on Facebook, hit us up, man. It's a lot of fun. I also really quick want to plug this though, man. Um, Jeff talked or we talked a little bit about it earlier, but uh, Jeff does a faith based podcast, Pop Culture Quorum Deo, with Jared, uh, who's also been on the show before, and they had a really great episode this week about this same movie about searching. And uh, so if you are uh, if you are a Christian or you're looking for more of a faith based approach on this movie and not just a bunch of inside jokes and, and dumb things like we did at the beginning, check that out. Pop Culture Quorum Deo. You can find that on all of your favorite podcasting platforms and just a really great episode this week. So just wanted to wanted to throw that out. That's really kind of you, Derek. I appreciate that. I, I don't know if I accomplished the goal or not, but I, I try. Sometimes the movies we're covering on that show will overlap with Saw Something Scary movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to work really hard to make them different enough that people who listen to both can can feel like they got you know different content in, in each show. So uh, again, and maybe I don't accomplish it, but I'm trying to. And it's kind of you to plug that for me. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought you guys did a really great job this week, and and I'll I'll openly admit that I don't get the opportunity to to listen to every one of them. But uh, I'm really glad that I was able to listen to this one this week. So well, thanks. All right, man. Well, I think that's all we got. Except, do we know what we're going to watch next? No, man. I was going to say, let's put a poll up. Um, you think of two scary movies. I'll think of two scary movies and we'll put the poll up on. We saw this. We saw something scary, the Facebook group and have the listeners decide, of course, the week after we're doing Venom. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's I don't care if that stretches the premise just a little bit. Venom scary has big teeth. He will eat your legs and arms off and make you roll down the street like a little turd. Scary yes. enough. Right. Yeah. Completely agree with that. So. Okay, I think I've got it, Jeff. We start October movie Scarathon next week. Yeah, we do. Uh, so we've already there's already an episode on Oculus in our archives, which you're more than welcome to listen to. Uh, by the time that we record this one next week, there'll be all the boys love Mandy Lane and Cargo. So what I'm suggesting is this: Why don't we do? Uh, why don't we put up a poll on We Saw Something Scary? And our listeners can either vote for one of those two or you throw in a wild card and I'll throw in a wild card and whichever of the four wins the vote by 
Monday. We'll put it up tomorrow. So that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, so that's five days, essentially. And uh, by Monday, whatever wins, we'll watch it, we'll review it, and we'll have it up for next Thursday. Does that sound good? That sounds like a wonderful plan. Okay. Then that is what we will do, good sir. So it's up to you, dear listener. Listener, beware. You're in for a scare. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Check that out. Uh, no one tell R.L. Stein I just said that so we don't get sued. Um, but anyway, yeah, so you guys will get to vote and get to decide on what we do for next week's episode. Sweet. Those are always yeah. fun. Yeah, I love those. So we'll, we need to we need to try to do more of those, I guess. Yeah, that poll will be in We Saw Something Scary, so make sure you head over to that Facebook group to check it out and make your thoughts known. Yep, yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll put that up sometime tomorrow. We'll have that up sometime tomorrow for you. Well, actually, sometime today when you're listening to this episode. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. It's it's tough dealing with time travel with these things, Jeff, right? Absolutely right. I'm not Michael J. Fox. I'm not Doc Brown, so I don't know what to do. You are Derek Zoo, and we couldn't be more thankful. Yeah. Good chatting with you this week, man, on a you great too, movie. And uh, looking forward to looking forward to uh, talking about whatever we talk about next week and then looking forward to talking about Venom. And then, hey, man, maybe I can come home and we can watch uh, House on Hill Haunts with the houses or whatever they call it. Whatever whatever the title is, I will be there with bells on to watch it. Particularly if you're if you're there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Anish, Anish, get with us, brother. I want to talk to Anish Giganti now. And uh, so you guys, you guys tweet him. I don't know his Twitter handle, but I know he's on Twitter. So tweet Anish Giganti. Tell him to be on the show. And uh, and then and then tweet Mike Flanagan and tell him that he owes us from eighteen months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in Mike. He's gonna he's gonna live up to the commitment. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so that'll about do it for this week's episode of Saw Something Scary from uh, Laguna Beach Christian Resort. This is Jeff Wright and Derek Zoo reminding you guys to stay away from clowns and sewers, blind men with uh, turkey basters, and white people with teacups. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye bye, man. Bye.